The 10 o'clock hour, third and final hour of our weekly radio broadcast. Each hour is designed to be a standalone hour, bringing you different information. The first hour, landscape gardening, agriculture, arboriculture, all things outdoor living. Second hour, we dive deep into one particular topic with one of our certified partners of the Rosie on the House referral network that uh, is designed to help educate you if you're a do-it-yourselfer on the mindset of that particular industry and trade professional as you're tackling the work yourself or to get an expectation of what to expect if you're looking to have it professionally done. And we spent the hour uh, talking night lighting with Nightworks of Arizona. But this hour, this hour is what you want to talk about. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions can be sent to 411923. And you can also email us at info at rosieonthehouse.com if you've got uh, a need to send a picture or a little video to help describe the project you're working on or product identification, whatever the case may be. Uh, that's info at rosieonthehouse.com. Jeff, first on the line, first on the air, one 767 4348 How may we help you? Good morning. Um, I have a design master home that was built in 1979 in the Chandler area, small house of about a thousand square feet. The homeowner, the original homeowner changed the carport into a garage, which when I bought the house in 85, I was real impressed with since then I've learned a few things and I'm seeing the results of his lack of code work, shall we say. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the wall on, on the, East end of the of the garage, the house faces north or faces south, um, is showing the signs of the outer cladding absorbing moisture because he brought the wall, the nailing plate all the way down to the concrete. He didn't come up at all, and so it's sucking up moisture and probably critters and such like that. And I was thinking I needed to redo that, and that's coupled with um, the span across the door, the wood uh, across the roof line there the fascia, I guess you call it, um, has a tendency to rot early, and I've had to replace it a couple of times. And uh, I was wondering who or how I should get that corrected to be more long-term and to, to last much longer. Yeah, so what we're dealing with, and correct me if any point I'm wrong, Jeff, but I just want to make sure I understand correctly and for a homeowner who may not be able to visualize this yet, kind of kind of fill in the blank. So what we have is a carport. A lot of people are like, what, a carport? Coming from outside of Arizona, if, if, unless you're in a rural area, you don't see that a lot. There's garages. Well, this is a area you park your car, but it's not fully enclosed. But it's at a lower level than the rest of the home. There's still a curb you have to step up to get inside the home. By code, if you're enclosing that and making it part of your home, you're supposed to pour the concrete up level with the rest of the home. And from what it sounds like, that was not done. They put, and you said nail plates, so they used wood. They put wood right on the concrete that was designed to park a vehicle on, and that's the bottom of your existing, you know, wall that they used to to convert it to living space, Correct. Yes, I didn't know about having to level the entire garage. I didn't know a step down was an issue, but 
Well, um, it does have a little bit of slope to it, but the wall is is mainly my concern is it's not holding up to the weather. Yeah. So if you are doing and and closing a carport, that's extra square footage for your home. An appraiser will not count it as living space, even though it's designed for living space, if there's still a step down. And it's not a big cost when you're doing the project to go ahead and pour it level to get the additional uh, value per square foot of your home because a carport square foot value is different than a living area. So if, you, you, if you're if you doing it, there's no it, – it's, in our opinion, no reason not to go ahead and pour it level. Now, that's not what happened in your home and you didn't do the work. I'm just – you know, for the rest and benefit of the listeners, if they're looking to do this project or they have a home with a built-in carport uh, that was done this way, you know, how to get it up to level. What you have going for you is neither of those walls are structural. The house was built to not have those walls and they're not holding any load. So we can actually come in and cut the bottom portion of that wall out pour up the concrete either to level it with the entire home or just underneath the wall to where it is the same level as the rest of the home and then rebuild the what's left of the wall back down if the rest of the siding on the exterior you know past you know whatever level we may not need to replace all the boards uh on on the exterior shelf we can just replace the damage part so you can uh, ha- have a, a retrofit application that would bring this up to code. And real quick, uh, if you hadn't noticed, jumping a topic fastly here, uh, because we've got a, a red flag warning in effect till 7 p.m. Saturday for dangerous fire conditions. So for all of our rural and mountain listeners, Special report here for you, Rosie, on the house. A special guest joining us to talk about the wildfire prepared programs of IBHS. Now, what does all that mean? Well, we've got lead research engineer, Ferrars Hariardi of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, joining us to talk about this incredible resource they put together to help you be prepared for ours. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your Saturday morning with us. A pleasure to be with you. So talk to us about what it is you do as a lead research engineer for the IBHS. So uh, we are a nonprofit located in South Carolina, and we have an iconic facility that we can create a wind speed from 10 to 125 miles an hour. That gives us the capability to study wind-driven fires. And we have been doing this for more than 10 years now, and we understand how buildings ignite. And uh, so based on that experience, we we released Wildfire Prepared Home last year which is a resource for people to use and harden their buildings against uh, wildfires. And also for people who are in California, they can use it to talk to the insurance agent to see if they are qualified for any kind of discount. This discount only applies to California, but that doesn't mean it's just going to stay in California. It can gradually work its way through the remainder of the West. Interesting statistic that there's been over 97,000 structures damaged by wildfire since 2005. So wildfire is not something that, is, that only happens in California. It could be all over the United States. Buildings burn down that people don't expect. Uh, an example of that is Tops Fire. Santa Rosa, the area was labeled as unburnable, but unfortunately, embers could fly over the highway, land on different buildings, ignite it, and then we had a structure-to-structure fire spread. 
Another interesting thing I, I thought was really eye-opening was that 90% of homes destroyed by wildfire were caused by the embers. Yeah, embers are the leading cause of fire spreading communities. And embers ignite the buildings in two different ways. They land on the building, for example, on combustible roof, and ignite it directly. Or they could also land around the building and ignite vegetations or decks or fences around the building. And then we have fire spread from those elements to, to the main uh, structure. When you put those together, the vast majority of buildings are ignited by embers. You guys have put together a list of things to do for homeowners to reduce the risk of embers igniting their home. And it starts with uh, the home ignition zone. When we look at uh, how embers ignite things around the building, typically embers need to accumulate for that to happen. It's not one single ember doesn't carry enough thermal energy to ignite a specific component. That's basically uh, uh, related to the wind flow around the buildings and uh, how wind pattern changes that forces the embers to land within the uh, first zero to five foot. It can ignite plants or structures like uh, uh, fences and decks, and then that provides the pathway for fire to get into the main structure and ignite the building. And when we see that, we're talking about 30 feet, 40 feet tall flames that can bend and touch the neighboring structures. So by eliminating the combustibles around the building, we can bend down the risk curve uh, significantly. What was the most fascinating you as an engineer has discovered over your years of studying wildfire? That's a good question. Uh, There was an eye-opening moment for me when I looked at different building components, and I was exposing different deck assemblies to embers. And I realized that the walking surface on top is not the only problem. In the ASTM standards or in California's building code, the walking surface is the only parameter that people look at, was to realize that what is underneath or what is the joist assembly under the deck, it's a system of components that come together that provide resiliency against wildfire. We need to look at these as a system and put all of them together. We actually did that by putting five different components together that are vulnerable to embers, and then the rest of the components, such as windows and siding, which are vulnerable to flames, we put them in a separate bin. So we have a base level and a plus level in wildfire preparedness. Well, it's an interesting topic, and a lot of people, especially in the desert, think this may not apply to them. But I, I won't share the number because I can't. It's too heartbreaking for me to talk about how many thousands of acres of Arizona have burned within the last 20 years and how many homes that have been destroyed. If you've got a home, especially in the mountain area, I would encourage you guys to go to wildfireprepared.org and download the PDF, we also put a direct link in today's podcast page. It's not a, ho- a whole lot of work when you go through what they're talking about to help uh, you know, mitigate the, the danger of wildfire. Uh, yeah, when we talk about the vegetation management around the building, uh, that can be done in several hours, I would say. Or uh, another uh, important factor is like uh, cleaning up the gutters they can reduce potential fire exposure to the roof uh, significantly. Faraz Hayardi, lead research engineer for the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety. Uh, what would you like homeowners to take away most? So I would say uh, go to our website, and a lot of those elements are easy to achieve, bend down the risk curve, and protect your uh, property. Wildfireprepare.org.
Mark from Green Valley writes in. A lot of detail here, so we're going to sum this one up. Uh, in Green Valley, a lot of my neighbors are going solar, and I'm considering it. 70 years old and good health. Expect to least live at least another 15 years. And my wife said she's younger than me, and she said if I kick off, she's just going to move to an apartment in Tucson. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we're working with a 15-year time frame, and I'm wondering if I should lease solar or purchase it, or should I just do without? Well, a lot of questions there, Mark, and it's not going to be the same answer for every single homeowner in every situation. Now, Green Valley, it's Arizona, it's a desert, a lot of sunshine. You're also not quite as hot. It's hard to think if you're traveling from Phoenix to Tucson, you're heading south, but you're actually going up in elevation. And Green Valley is further south. Now, it is kind of a little valley down there, but still, you're at a higher elevation, so your average heat in the summer is less than you know, what you'd find in Casa Grande or Phoenix. So depending on how well the house is built and insulated, you're not going to require as much electricity to cool your home. So we need to look at uh, what is standard for solar contractors is they want to see what was your last year of energy consumption because we need to take into consideration you know all the different seasons as we're designing this. And they'll see how many kilowatt hours in a total year you consumed. And what they do is they design the system to generate the amount of kilowatt hours you're consuming. So there'll be times where you're producing more solar energy from your roof that's going into the grid that the electric company is providing you a credit for. Come summertime, when everything's cranked up and you got the AC going and we moved our living indoors you're consuming more than your solars are producing, and that gets applied against the credits you have built up with the energy company. So the only way to answer that for yourself is to work with a reputable solar company who's not just out there trying to sell, 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 sell and move product, but an objective analysis. How much are you consuming? Okay, now we know how many panels we need to create that. Okay, here's what a leasing deal looks like. Here's what a purchase deal looks like. And then divide that by, you know, your expected life. In this case, you're, you're talking about another 15 years. If it's going to cost if, – if your return on investment doesn't hit before 15 years, well, then don't do it. Now, for solar, it's changed, uh, and that number has really dropped down where uh, – they're talking in a lot of cases as much as two to three years, you're going to start getting a return on your investment for solar where it was, you know, double that when solar panels first came out. You know, we've gotten better. The technology has gotten better. Uh, the way we use energy in our home has gotten better uh, and more efficient. So our turnaround time for our return on investment has significantly dropped. So they come out and we run the numbers and we figure out, you know what? Yeah, we can get you a return on investment in, let's just say, five years. So that gives you 10 years of savings. Well, now calculate what is that savings uh, going to be for you and what could you do with that? And uh, whether it's investment or saving a, the additional money for your wife, wh whatever you're going to do, you now have that second piece of the equation 
that'll answer those questions. So that would be the steps I would take when trying to figure out, uh, you know, if if I'm going solar, Green Valley, beautiful area. Uh, we have a, a lot of great listeners there. In fact, we uh, meet a lot of them when we're at the Sabo Home Show. And I apologize, we won't be there next weekend. There's always one the first week of April, the first week of October. We just had so many commitments already uh, predated for this fall that we just could not bring the resources down. Yes, it's only a three-day show, but uh, you got to set up by Wednesday. So now we're there Thursday because uh, we bring our, our showpiece uh, is our – Ford Sanderson Ford Transit vehicle. That's part of our booth display, and that's you know where we carry all of our uh, all of our print materials as well. So that has to be in and out of gas on Wednesday because it's inside the Tucson Convention Center. So that's their rules. So that leaves all day Thursday. Now you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When it's over Sunday, you can't get the vehicle out till the other booths are down. So you're out Monday. So it's it's a whole week commitment for us that we just couldn't make happen this this fall. Two questions. Uh, Mark in Green Valley. Do we don't know the square footage of the house? And secondly, who's his utility? I'm wondering. Would that also be a factor? Uh, well, the, the utility company absolutely is a factor. And what you get from your return from APS to SRP to in Tucson, mm-hmm. and I, I believe Green Valley as well is TEP as their power yeah. provider. Well, your local solar contractor is going to know the rates for your utility provider, so they'll be able to. You know, assist you in there. That would be a sign if he doesn't know the local power company. He doesn't know uh, who your power supplier is. Probably good indication you just got a traveling salesman that, uh, you know, hey, sun, sun in Arizona, how hard could it be to sell a solar panel? Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of elements to doing it right. And that's what we spend the rest of our week doing here at Rosie on the House in addition to answering listener questions, but finding those contractors with the homeowner's best interest in mind. Uh, that comes with being locally in business for at least five years, licensed, bonded, ins- insured, bondable, insured. And then once somebody goes through the complete screening process, all of our certified partners have to sign a code of ethics and a complaint resolution policy. Should there ever be an issue, we can then get involved and help bring it to the correct resolution for the Arizona homeowner. Read a call last week and uh, wrote in this week as well. Touch is a great topic that we love but is a can be a heartbreaker as well for a lot of people. She has a lot in the mountains and is looking to build a mountain home. I mean, who doesn't dream about having your own mountain cabin getaway, Uh, (laughs) your your own little place in the woods? But there's a lot of issues with building a mountain home, Uh, finding the work to do it. You don't have, you know, in these metropolitan areas of Phoenix and Tucson, hundreds of contractors to choose from. You might have one or two that, depending on how rural you're building, may be still coming from an hour away. And they're on mountain time. You know, they may not work during certain hunting or fishing seasons. Or uh, they may not plan, you know, they're, they're, they're mountain time. It's a completely different lifestyle. So they're not worried about, uh, you know, being at your home every single day, beginning of the day, 
uh, you know, well, the fish were biting when I come in. I saw them jumping at Nelson's Reservoir, so I pulled over and stopped for a couple hours and then came and I do a little bit of work, but I got to cut out early today because uh, we're going to go, you know, there's <laughs> go spotlighting. Whatever the case may be, it, you have a serious challenge with contractors, and it's hard as a contractor to stay in business in those areas because you don't have the millions of customers that you do in a metropolitan area like Phoenix and Tucson. And a lot of people in Casa Grande, when they first built there, and I saw a digital billboard today driving down I-17 on the way to the studio that said, come to Casa Grande, lower cost, higher quality of living. And it, it, it is catching up, but what a lot of people found when they moved there a new home is built. You don't need work done. And most of the people that are building these production homes for companies like, uh, you know, Pulte or Fulton Homes or uh, et cetera, most of those contractors that are doing the work, the labor work, the manual craftsmen, they don't live in that area. They come and they build a neighborhood community. Well, those workers come from somewhere else. They don't pull them locally. So when they're done with that community, well, now we're building over in Surprise. Well, now we're building over in Green Valley. So the, the contractors move with where the neighborhoods are building, being built. A home building uh, contractor is much different than a service contractor who's there to do repairs, upgrades, and maintenance on your home uh, as we experience wear and tear the air conditionings go out, the plumbing leaks, we're looking for window upgrades, etc. Those service contractors, they, it takes them a little while to get along. So you move down to Casa Grande, great, 10 years later I'm starting to have problems. A lot of the same problems happen at the same time. Well, finding those service contractors, it takes a little while for the demand to meet up, uh, for the supply to meet up to the demand. In those other areas, as contractors move in, or what happens is you have local guys that realize there's a problem and there's a need for this, so they start their own companies to start being those service contractors for homeowners. So when you're building rural, just know getting labor out to your home is issue number one, and it's always going to be an issue until the metropolitan area moves in and consumes you, but you moved out there to not be consumed. <laughs> And we're talking about Retta from last week, correct? Correct. Yeah, okay. The, she did ask us a specific question, so I'm going to may throw you a curveball. She wants to know about, and I have to look this up, insulated concrete forms. So that's what she had called about, and that was one of her questions. She actually has five bullet points here in her email that uh, ah, she, she sent this email. morning. Okay. And concrete forms are, it, it depends on what type. There are some great styles. Anything with concrete, I love. But when you're... Pouring concrete into foam, that just, to me, sounds like it's completely defeating the purpose. The reason for going concrete is, you know, forever building products. Where you've got a foam block that you then cover with concrete to make structural and then coat on the outside. I, I, I cannot find a, a reason, a time, or a situation I would ever go that route. If you really want uh, to go concrete, and in the mountains, we, you know, we never like to do anything that's not masonry and home. But in the mountains where you 
uh, you're closer to the sun, you've got more uh, blistering from the UVs. Going wood product, to, in my mind, is just such a, a, a short-sighted, poor waste of money and resources. So looking at masonry products, there is the integral wall system that we're a big fan of. You put regular masonry uh, up, 8816 blocks, uh, and they're designed a little different than your typical 8816 where the, there's no ends on them. So if you're looking down, instead of it being an 8, it looks like an H. And that allows, that creates less heat transfer through the block material from one side to the other. Structurally reinforced with uh, steel rods uh, throughout the entire wall system, all the way from the, it's set into your foundation when you're pouring your stem walls, and then uh, it's secured through the top plate. Then what they do is they come back and they inject foam into the concrete. So you've got a structural concrete wall for your home injected with foam and that brings you up to like an r39 if i remember correctly and that's just and you can leave it at that and that's a six inch uh on a on a six inch block wall there are i don't know that they they really try uh they, they do have an eight inch mainly for commercial application uh but obviously that two more layers of insulation you can increase it from there but then you uh, depending on what you do from there, are you going to leave it block or are you furring out the inside and adding drywall to your finishes? Are you doing anything decorative outside over the block? You know, those insulation outsolations will increase the R values in some relative respects. But you can have this designed as your finished product uh, with diamond polishing on the interior. You can have a split face exterior you know, each side of the block can be finished differently, so it can be your finished surface that then you never have to paint or repair. So it gives you a lot of functionality, and then if you ever wanted to change the interior uh, finish, you know, you could plaster over it, you can fur out, you, know, you could always do more on the interior later. Uh, if you got tired of the look or were just trying to find something different, uh, some people, uh, you know, will find if it, depending on how the house is designed and built, an all-concrete home, it could be very echoey, it could be very loud. So that's when you see a lot of times the furring come in and different materials like drywall or they'll put soundboard and then drywall up to, to deaden it. But, you know, it just depends on how big of a space that's designed for the open, for the echo. So there's a lot of different options. I would stick uh, at all costs to finding a way to get it done with a masonry material. Uh, her brother-in-law is a custom home builder. And said, you know, just do a stick frame home. And she found it disappointing, which I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. You know, don't <laughs> go, go with your gut to on say that, that one. But yeah, I see where you're going. <laughs> uh, the, the, the price floored her. Uh, she was given a, a quote for about $500 per square foot. You know, I, that's just the cost of building anymore. And in this case, it was for somebody that kind of brought in a prefab style. And those are definitely options as well. There's a lot of things you need to understand about prefab homes. And, and this one isn't necessarily like a, a modular home. It's more of a, a timber frame builder from out of state that would come in and do this. The one problem, you know, your labor is going to have to come from somewhere no matter where. 
if they're out of state, they're not going to be the kind of people that are going to be able to come and just service your home for repairs or warranty work later. Coming from out of state has a huge risk. Uh, but there are other types of buildings. Uh, I've got a friend that's finishing a home that is, uh, you know, a, a steel structural frame that he found out of Texas. And they have a lot of prefab. So you pour your slab. They send you the steel products. You construct the structural frame for your home. And then you finish your interior and exterior with whatever materials you want. So that was uh, a different type of style that has come into the market uh, that's available. So, But again, all these things, if you're looking for the lowest maintenance and the biggest bang for your buck, you cannot beat a, a structural masonry system. So a lot of challenges that you have here, uh, Retta, and the area of Arizona that you're going is probably one of the most rural areas out there. Um, so labor is, it, you know, I, I don't know if you're just going to have to truck up somebody uh, from from another city and you know, build campsites on your property and pay them to stay there the week and, uh, you know, then a week off, a week on, a week off, a week on, a week off, a week on, <laughs> whatever the case may be. But I, no doubt that is one of the prettiest areas of Arizona. So congratulations on it and at least owning a lot there. Maybe a 3D printed home. You ever thought about that? You think they could pull that off? So a 3D printed home. Now, she's up in the mountains. So okay. this so, same situation. This may not apply. The, the first 3D printed home in Arizona was built by Habitat for Humanity right. in Tempe. And it is a cement product. So you've got the hopper. And it's pumping cement through a tube that's going to this mechanical head that's following its pre-engineered design, the layout of the exterior of your home. They had spent more time flushing out the system and starting over because it was so hot in the desert, the concrete would start to harden inside the tube as it's coming out oh. because it can only go a certain amount. It was like a, a, just a couple inches at a time. Uh -huh. So there was a lot of learning process that came in and there were certain types. So they, they had to stop and put it on hold to wait for cooler months. Then there was extra misters that were brought in. And, uh, you know, it, the, it's an interesting thing and it's a really cool look on, on the finished product. But, you know, it, to bring the equipment and set it up and yes, do it exactly you know you're you're still facing a serious labor cost to get that all set up and, and established charlotte writes in i have a water leak West-facing window, when it rains, water comes in. Someone said uh, the window frame is rotting, and what? so I, I want to know what trade do I need. Do I need a window guy, a framing guy, a stucco guy? Well, if the window frame is rotting, then you're going to need to replace the window. Hopefully, there's not any more structural damage to you know, the rest of the framing of your home. We're not going to know that until we take the drywall off and we take the stucco off to remove the window. 
And when you're seeing this problem, it's a, uh, you know, an, a product of not being installed correctly. Now, a good window company, they're going to be able to come out, cut into the stucco from the outside, remove the window. And from that point, if there is structural repairs that need to be made, well, then we bring in a carpenter or, uh, you know, a licensed handyman that can make those structural repairs. Then the window contractor will reinstall a new window and properly flash it so there's not leaking and then stucco over it. And then at that point, obviously, we've got painting to do afterwards to match it all in. So start with a window contractor uh, in your case, uh, Charlotte. And then once we get the window off again, we'll know if it's something we need additional trades for. Now, we have uh, great window contracting contractors that are part of our certified partner network. Uh, Pella, they've got two showrooms, Gilbert and Scottsdale. Uh, you know, that's our favorite window brand. Uh, and every one of our window partners is a Pella certified installer. Done right windows in Scottsdale. They're just opening up a showroom uh, in Phoenix on Thunderbird and Tatum on the northwest side. We're actually be doing a remote out there. It was, it was actually supposed to be two weeks ago, but they're still waiting on the rest of their display products to get sent in from the manufacturer to go in the showroom. So that's been pushed into January. And then uh, on McDowell and about 3rd Street, we've got Freelight, uh, who's been with us you know, uh, you know, since we started the referral network. But he's been working back to the 80s uh, here locally with us. So there's great options for you. Give them a call. Have them come out. Once we have the new window picked that we're going to be putting in there – and we'll get it matched as close as we can, but depending on how old it is um, and, and who the manufacturer was, there may be we may not be able to create a, a perfect match. So we'll get that done. We'll get the window ordered, and once it's here, then we'll do the ripoff of the stucco and the old window. And from that point, if we need to get a, a contractor out there, you know, we're not exposed for weeks on end, but maybe just a day or two. Uh, till we get that structural repairs done and then re, re and then install the new window and restucco over the patch area. George is a fifth generation Arizona on both sides of his parents. Uh, congratulations, George. You are in a very small class of people. Uh, there's, there's not many people that can say they're fifth, fifth generation, generation on wow. both sides. And, uh, anyway, he wanted to know what was so special about uh, the realtor, Vicki Gorman, that's part of the network, when we were talking about the extra process. Oh, preach on there, brother. <laughs> and this kind of goes back to you know the, the conversation we had last week where a person moved into a home and didn't realize the drains were done. Well, a drain system isn't part of the home inspection. You need a plumber to come out and do scoping so and a home inspection can leave a lot of things on there like this seems to be age call a specialist for that this seems to be age call a specialist for that well specialists you know they've got to charge for their time they can't go out for free and you know give give expert opinions on the condition of a home without creating a cost so that extra work is very rarely done but these are the extra things that we'll do through the Rosie on the House home buying process. And then everybody that uh, goes through that, they get, you know, our homes out of 
account, which is a digital way to maintain your home. We put all the information in how old are all the different elements, how old's the home, how old's the roof, how old's the air conditioning, how old's the paint, how old's the appliances, and it'll help keep us on track for financial planning, knowing that the life expectancy of your fill-in-the-blank roof, air conditioning, water uh, faucets, you know, it's coming to the end of its life, and here's what you can expect to pay for it, and it also will help you gauge what kind of home equity you have so you know, am I going to do it out of the equity through my home or do I need to find another way to do financing? So it's it, it brings home ownership to a whole new level. It costs more up front. It's going to save you more on the back end. It's going to provide a better home sale for your house at the point you do move on. So you'll be able to get more out of your home uh, than anyone else on the block that's not following this. So it's really a huge benefit. And then uh, the last email we'll get to today, Greg, and I'm bringing this up because uh, it is time if for our annual printing of our homeowner handbook. It's a free mailing we do and we'll distribute to anybody that asks. All you have to do, send us the address you want it to. When the homeowner handbook is printed, we'll send it to you. It's a layout of topics that we'll be covering uh, for the whole year of 2024. We have a featured partner each month and then three different calls to action. So if you're looking to, you know, right now, done right window and doors, for example, uh, you know, they've got a argon gas upgrade on a, and a lifetime install warranty. So there's different things you can use to save money as you invest in your home. 